Um, I want to tell you just about a minute's worth about myself. Uh, I actually have roots in East Mississippi a little bit. My father was from Clark County, and he graduated a long time ago at Clark County AHS. And when I was growing up, uh, when I was in about 15 years old, I was... uh, had a new pastor in our church, and he wanted me to go to a camp outside of it. I always think about this story when I come to Meridian. Uh, he wanted me to go to a Christian, a Presbyterian Christian camp outside of Atlanta, and I didn't want to go. And he said, well, and my, my, the pastor had been the director of that camp. He talked my parents into sending me that summer. My parents told me I was going. I said, no, I'm not going. I'm going to play third base on the Rankin County All-Star team this year, and we're going to beat Meridian. You know what my daddy said? He said, son, you're never going to beat Meridian. I played against them many times. They always have crooked umpires. <laughs> so I went to the camp, and it changed my life. I went back four summers. I grew like I never. I'm a covenant child. I don't remember when I became a Christian. Uh, but, boy, did I gain assurance and so many other things there. In the last summer I was there, I met my wife, my first wife, Joyce. Horton. Her father was Frank Horton. He was one of the lawyers who founded RTS. And uh, so I always think about that when I come to Meridian. Uh, my wife did die uh, nearly eight years ago. We'd been married 45 years. And I went into deep grief. And uh, Bebo Elkin introduced me to a woman that he knew in Raymond, Mississippi, whose husband had died a month before my wife Joyce died. And we met, and um, a year and a half later, we got married. And uh, I was living in Franklin, Tennessee, working at a a 2,000-member church as executive pastor in Nashville. And uh, I I knew my wife is a a medical doctor, and she's still working, and I knew I couldn't ask her to quit quit and come to Nashville yet. So uh, I came back to Mississippi. I grew up in Brandon, as I said, and... uh, so we live on a farm way out in the country from Raymond, and we've been very happy for seven years. I'm sorry she couldn't be here today. She goes with me a lot, um, but uh, every now and then she likes to go to her church in Raymond, of course. And um, one other thing, I preach all over Mississippi just about. Two weeks ago I was in at Main Street Presbyterian Church in Columbus. Last Sunday I was in uh, First Pres in Louisville. Mississippi. I'm just moving right down the state, the eastern side of the state. And uh, so I've already made one big mistake here this morning. Probably have made a couple I don't even know about. And I may make, make mistakes at, at, uh, with communion because everybody does everything differently. <laughs> now, having said all of that, that's enough, plenty. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're not going to read it all. We're just going to read the th- last three verses. Luke chapter 2. Beginning at verse 17, hear now God's word. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I like that phrase, they made known it. I made it known, I'm going to talk about that. Concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered, key word, wondered, at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering, key word, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying, key word, 
and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Now we have in front of us a very well-known text. Luke chapter 2, those of you who are older probably had to memorize it when you were growing up in Sunday school or in school. I had to memorize it in both places, in Brandon, at church and at school. And so it's known as the Christmas story. And you know what is there, but I want you to really think deeply about the little three verses, four verses that I just read. It's well known, and it tells us how to celebrate Christmas. Now, there's always been an argument, and a, a very small minority of people in the history of the church have thought we shouldn't celebrate Christmas, but I think they're wrong, and I'm going to surprise you and tell you, just go do a little internet search on the word St. Nicholas, and you will find out that he really did exist, and he was a Christian. Um, he didn't start the celebration of Christmas, but he is in part of the historical uh, root of, of Christmas, rootage, I guess is the word, um, and I believe, and if you want to know where the Christmas tree came from, just go study the life of Martin Luther. And he's the one that really popularized the Christmas tree. And so I believe, yes, there is a secular side and there's a spiritual side. And as long as you don't overdo the secular side and go crazy with it, then fine. But we're going to talk about the biblical way to celebrate Christmas. And I think it's a very important subject because I think a lot of people don't really know how. Uh, most of the world today just thinks Christmas is this happy time, and they have all kinds of secular ideas about it. Three years ago, my current wife and I went to Germany. She'd spent a lot of time in Germany. I took her to Scotland on our honeymoon. She took me to Germany um, three years ago, and we were there just about this time of year, three years ago. And I mean, Germany was alive with Christmas, but there was very little mention of Jesus. It was very, very secular. I'm afraid that's what's happened in our country. And of course, many people in this country celebrate it by doing just crazy things. They get drunk and they party, 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 and they spend way too much money. I want us to talk about what is the biblical, really best way to celebrate Christmas. The best way by far is to become a Christian if you are not one already. Now, why would I say that? I remember hearing J.I. Packer, you may know that name, he wrote a number of great books. I remember hearing J.I. Packer say that any time in the history of Christianity at least 20 people have been gathered together, you can assume somebody's lost. I don't have spiritual radar, but we got more than 20 people here. <laughs> I don't know, and it may not be true at all here. I'm not going to make uh, the assumption, but I, but I think if it is you... I want you to pay close attention to what I say today, and I want us all to, though, to go ahead and think about if we are a Christian, how's the best way to celebrate this time of year? And of course, it is to believe, it is to believe again, it is to renew in your mind and in your heart what you've believed for a long time and celebrate, I'm going to develop it in a minute, the incarnation. But I'm going to assume that most of you, if not all of you, have believed and that you are Christians, so let's talk about the proper way to celebrate the birthday of the Savior. And there are four points I've already alluded to them as I read the text. It is to tell others about it, it is to wonder at it, it is to ponder it, and it is to glorify God for what was done there. Let's talk about telling others about it, verse 17. You know what had happened. The shepherds are out in the fields at night, the sky lights up, there's this wonderful angelic host they are singing praises to God and they're saying a savior has been born the long-awaited messiah has been born it's not very far from here why don't y'all go see about it 
And they did. That's a rough summary of it. And they immediately did go do that. And what happened in verse 17? They were astounded. They found it. They were really uh, just encouraged. And they became what? Witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who tells about what he has seen or heard or what has happened to him. Now, they went back to the, to the fields, and they had, a, they had a story worth telling. A great event had occurred, and they were talking about it. And what they, what they found had coincided with what the angels told them. Their world was much like our world. Folks, our world is getting, it's, it, it, there's always, history always is up and down. Uh, but what we have seen in my opinion, in the last 15, 20 years, it's without precedent in my lifetime and probably within the last 100 years. The church has very little influence in culture today. Hardly a week goes by that I'm not shocked. It's something else that's being done by our government and something else that's being pushed all over this country that is anti-Christian and usually evil. And it seems like the church is asleep They were living in a world that was sad, lost, confused, and dying, and that's ours. It's sad. It was sad because they had no direction. They had no revelation. They were confused because they hadn't heard anything from God in 400 years, the time between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, and it was dying. And over against this one night, in the middle of the night, they hear this angelic host saying, the Messiah has come. And suddenly they had hope. The Messiah, the one <coughs> that would later talk to them about the way, the truth, and the life. I remember when I was at, at Mississippi State and was involved in Campus Crusade, and one phrase I learned was out of John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I remember that phrase they taught us, without the way, there's no going. Without the truth, there's no knowing. Without the life, there's no living. And that's what the Savior did do. And, and uh, they began to speak about him. They were witnesses. Let's have a little spiritual autopsy here. We're Presbyterians. We uh, are PCA. And so what do we say we are? I see it on the literature. I work for the denomination, by the way. I work for the administrative committee of the General Assembly. Uh, what do we On our literature, it says we're reformed. We hold to the doctrines of the Protestant Reformation. We're covenantal. We hold to the covenants that are taught in the Scripture and the covenant, uh, primarily, <coughs> primarily the covenant of grace. <coughs> we're confessional. We hold to the Westminster Standards. We don't just say we believe these like these people that walk around and say, well, we, this is what we believe. We've written it down in confessions and catechisms. And here's the biggie I want to talk about today. We're evangelical. We talk about it. You know what they call us out in the world, have done it ever since I was a kid? I've heard it. Oh, you're a Presbyterian. You're one of those frozen chosen. Uh Uh-huh. Sometimes I kind of think we've earned that name. The shepherds were witnesses. Now, what about you? Really now is the only reason you really speak about him because you know you ought to. Kind of out of legalistic obedience. There's a deeper issue. Do you really care? 
You and I have much more authority than these shepherds did. You know when I say that? Here it is. We got the Bible. They didn't have that. And secondly, most of us in this room are educated. And they were not. We know much better what the good news is. We've heard a whole lot more about it in church and perhaps in our own devotions, I hope, in our own reading. Boy, does Satan... I remember Frank Barker telling me when I was in Birmingham, uh, he said, you know, Wayne, Satan never quits. He never gets tired. And he doesn't. And I think, he, I think we're asleep in the church today. How long has it been since you've talked to somebody? Just a, I'm not talking about preaching or being obnoxious. How long has it been since you've shared your faith with someone? He has quenched our zeal. And we have excuses. You know what one of the excuses is that we, th- we don't maybe say it, but we think it. I, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I don't, want, I don't want them to think I'm a nutcase. Come on. This Christmas, will you point to the Savior, and this is all you need to say in a little private moment. Can I talk to you about what this is all about? Can you share a little, little something that's in my heart? The Lord's put it on my heart this year. I just want, just want to mention it to you. They're not going to... Go off and say you're crazy. You do that. Let me tell you how to have the best Christmas you ever had in your life. Lead someone to Jesus Christ this year. And it'll be the best experience of Christmas you've ever, ever had. Second thing, verse 18. To wonder at it. Now, there are two kinds of wonder. The first one is what I'm going to call the tickling of a fancy. And it soon dies away. I couldn't think of anything better than this. But some of most of us in this room are old enough to remember about 25 or 30 years ago, something came out, a little bitty thing called the Rubik's Cube. And you got it, and you thought, wow. And you turned it, and you turned it, and you turned it. And then you came across somebody that could turn it, and it was fixed. And you thought, whoa, wow, that guy's super smart. You seen any Rubik's Cubes lately? Uh-uh. <laughs> They've faded. That's, that's the one kind of wonder. But I want to talk to you about a holy wonder. It is a proper amazement at the acts of God that are beyond comprehension and become adoration. And it grows. It's sort of like a good marriage. The other day, my wife and I now have been married for six and a half years, and we were talking about the fact that well, she had a very happy marriage. So we go to a restaurant sometime, and somebody will say, the waitress will say something about, well, y'all on your, how long y'all been married? We'll say, 84 years. Because <laughs> I had my first marriage and her first marriage. So we've been married six and a half years, and we were talking the other day about how happy we've been and how much happier we are than we were when we first had our first date. It's kind of strange, but a good marriage grows. And you know what? In a sense, all the acts of God are this way. 
You start at Genesis 1 and you go all the way through to Revelation, and the more you read it, the more you think, wow, did that really happen? Woo, man, that's some kind. I mean, you think about it. Think about the Tower of Babel. Think about, I'm not going to explain them. I hope you know what I mean. Think of Noah and the ark and the flood. How about uh, the day the sun stood still? How about the way the wa- how about the day the walls fell down at Jericho? How about the things that happened with David? How about Elijah? Ooh, lots of things happened with him. How about all the miracles that Jesus Christ performed? How about it when you you can read in Acts chapter 19 when the disciples' handkerchiefs touched somebody, they would be healed. When they walked by the shadow of their of their would would heal people. It's amazing. My first wife used to tell me that every time I preached on a miracle in the Bible, I would get up and say something to the effect, this is the greatest miracle in the Bible. This very one has got to be the best. Okay. I'm going to say it now. This is the most amazing thing to me in the Bible. God became a man. Let me prove it to you. When I got out of seminary, in 1971, Joyce was from Clinton, and I was from Brandon. We'd been in Mississippi all our lives. I got an opportunity to go to First Presbyterian Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. That's 20 miles below Charlotte. And uh, it was a wonderful church. had a 1,000 members. I was assistant pastor and youth director. had about 75 kids in my youth group. Wonderful time. Our first baby was born there. You're talking about something special. We had a Presbyterian doctor, and the baby was born in the Presbyterian Hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> but back in those days, you couldn't, they wouldn't let you in the delivery room. They wouldn't even let me in to hold the baby in the room. I didn't hold it. She was in the hospital five days, and I didn't get to hold the baby at all. And then we finally went, took her home. And I remember the very first time, holding that little girl and thinking, wow, this is part her, part Joyce, and part me, and God made it. This is amazing. I just wanted to hold her and look at her and look at her and look at her. Now, you multiply that by a thousand by a million, and you think what Mary must have thought when she's holding a baby in her arms, and it's God. You read John chapter 1, and the baby that she was holding in her arms is the one who created the hills and hollows of Lauderdale County. And you were holding that baby in your arms? You talk about a miracle. God became a man, the infinite In human flesh, how could it be? Uh, We can't really understand it, but we believe it, we know it's true, and we marvel at it. And that's how you begin to really celebrate Christmas. Allow it to stretch your minds. Okay, my first wife was an AP English teacher, and boy, did she load me down with poems through the years. Here's one, Richard Crashaw, 17th century, century metaphysical English poet. Welcome all wonders in one sight. Eternity shut in a span, summer and winter, day and night. Heaven on earth and God in man. Blessed little one whose all-embracing birth lifts earth to heaven, stoops heaven to earth. Let's go to the third point to ponder it. Verse 19. 
Pondering is to be connecting, is connected with wonder, but it goes beyond it. It's a diving beneath the surface and trying to figure some things out. It is searching and trying to know and understand the mind of God. And as Mary did it, so are we to try to do, do it and know more of God and the ways of God more fully. And let me tell you, it is work. One of the things that we learn in seminary is what's called the noetic effects of the fall. When the fall of man occurred, not only did labor become hard, but thinking became hard too, if you really think. I'm not talking about brooding. I'm talking about exercising the mind. Let me tell you how I learned this the first time. When I was in the 10th grade, I took plain geometry. It was taught by a man named Charlie Jones. Charlie Jones at that time had the highest average that had ever been recorded at Mississippi State in math. And I will never forget the very first test he gave us in plain geometry. This is what it was. And they went on all year. True, false. You say, oh, big deal. That's easy. No, it's not. True, false, or maybe. Maybe. And I remember the first time I looked at that thing, and then he called them quizzes, and I thought, oh. I would say, I would say well, maybe it's this, maybe it's not. Man, I don't know. We'd come out of those tests all year long, tired. My head would almost hurt because I wanted to make top grade. I wanted to do it. And he, had, he was messing with our minds. And it was good for us. I talked to my wife, Dina, about it. She's a medical doctor. And I, I said, did, did, did you ever have that experience? She said, sure did when I was at Delta State taking advanced calculus. It got, it got so hard, I just wanted to quit. Look at Mary in the text. What is she doing? Her memory, it says she kept all these things. Her memory was involved. Her, look, her affect, it says kept all those things in her heart. Her affections were involved. Her memory, her affections, she pondered them. Her intellect was involved. She thought about what is this child going to do? Who do you think related this tender story in Luke chapter 2 to Luke later on, years later? It was Mary. They didn't dream it. I mean, Luke didn't dream this up. But right now she kept quiet and meditated and thought and prayed and turned it over in her mind again and again and again. And that's a lost art today. I, one of the best known preachers in the PCA, he's got 5,000 members in his church. He tells me that he's told me that he has PP and P days, pencil, pad, and prayer days, where he does nothing but sit on a porch and just think. <sighs> Give us some more like that. Later, she would speak like the shepherds, but not now. And I want to ask you: Can you do as Mary did? Of course, you can. Yes, you can. I can. You can. We all can. We can think about it. We need to sharpen our affections. It is a terrible thing to grow old and not have warm thoughts in your mind about Jesus and about his birth and about the incarnation. And to grow old in your love for the Savior. I want to challenge you this 
year. You still got time this Christmas to get alone and think about the incarnation for 15, 20, or 30 minutes. You can find something to read about it to stimulate your mind. You can find your preacher can tell you who to, what to read. And I mean think hard and build on what you already know. And you're going to say, oh, we're too busy. We ain't got time. Listen to me. This is America. We're always busy. We're always run, 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 run. Do this, do this, do that. If you're letting your schedule get in the way of doing what I'm talking about, about spending some time meditating, thinking, praying about the incarnation, it's sin. Finally, here's the best part. We're to glorify God. We're to celebrate Christmas by glorifying God and praising Him. Look at verse 20. Have you ever done that? Well, you have. You just didn't know it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's take the word glorify. It originally meant, the word in its original meaning meant to have an opinion. And then it meant to have a good opinion. It evolved. And the noun form of it is doxa. Doxa. You see where I'm going? It meant eventually meant to speak of a person's true worth. And when you talk about a person and acknowledge their true worth, you are glorifying that person. And that is the essential meaning of worship. To acknowledge God's worship. Now you know where the word worship came from. It is to declare God's worthship. He's worth something. And he's worth a whole lot. <laughs> we know that. And so to do that, you are expressing a doxology. I'm so glad we sang the doxology. I go to churches and a lot of them don't have the doxology anymore. And I want to say, why'd you drop that? I don't say it, but I think it. It is to express a doxology, which means to express the right opinion of God verbally. Christmas, then, is celebrating by being doxological. It means verbally telling people about it. It means praising God for all his wondrous works and especially for the incarnation. Now, let me tell you a story about something that happened to me about six weeks ago. I have five daughters, five and seven years. <laughs> it was a rule in our household that you had to learn and recite at one sitting the child's catechism. And after you had learned and recited the child's catechism, eventually you had to learn and recite the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Or you didn't get a driver's license. And it worked. I remember one of my daughters when she was about 15 said, Daddy, would you, what would you do if I don't do this? I said, try me. <laughs> it worked. They all did it. Okay. Six weeks ago, I got a call from a close friend in Memphis. Let's bring this up. Whew, I didn't know the time was that long. I'm sorry. Um, and he... His, his name is John Wilfong. John Wilfong was the starter on the Memphis State basketball team in 1985 that went to the national championship, played in the last game 
They lost it to Villanova, and he lost it at the free throw line. He went one and one, missed, made the first one, missed the second one. But he is an icon in Memphis because they loved him to death. I couldn't go in a restaurant with him that somebody wouldn't answer his autograph. The great thing about him is he's a deep-thinking, great Christian. I did his wedding. He called me about six weeks ago, and he said, Wayne, he said, I've just had an interesting experience. He said, I was in Colorado, and, and John Wilfong became very successful. You may or may not know the name Jimmy Sexton. Jimmy Sexton is the agent that invests all the money of all these athletes and coaches. He invests Kiffin's money, for example. He's a very well-known um, sports agent. And because he and John Wilfong, close friends, uh, Sexton just gives the money to Wilfong, he invests it. So Wilfong's done great. He was in Colorado for a conference with um, young men who have, or men, they aren't young anymore, men who have become very, very successful who are Christians. And they just got a bunch of them together, 30 or 40 of them together. They just let them talk and share things. He said, I was sitting at a table the first night I was there, and he said, this guy and I were just talking How'd you become a Christian? How'd you become a Christian? They shared it. And so John said, you know what he told me? I said, How'd you? he asked him, this fellow sitting with him, how'd you become a Christian? He's some big executive worth who knows what. He said, well, when I was a student at the University of North Carolina, he said, I, I was just after a girl, and she just wouldn't give me the time of day. And I just stayed after her and didn't give up. And he said... She was a Christian, and I wasn't. And he said, she, I, said, I just didn't know what to do. So I finally decided I'd just try tried to be religious. And he said, I talked to her one night, and I said, well, what's, uh, what's the meaning of life? You know what she said? The answer to the first question of the catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God, glorify God, and enjoy Him forever. He said, I asked her, what is the meaning of life? And she said, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. He said, that question rocked my world. That answer rocked my world. I'd never heard anybody say anything like that. He said, that is the meaning of life. He said, I knew right then I wasn't going to give up until I found the God behind that. And he said, I did. And I've been a Christian ever since. Okay, you know. That girl was my daughter. The catechism worked. It is true. The meaning of God, the meaning of life is to glorify God. Do what the shepherds did. They went back and glorified God. That is our purpose in life. That's what the shepherds did. It's what we to do. How do you do it? Real quickly. You can do it by rehearsing his attributes. We don't have time for any of this. The birth of Christ teaches us of God's love. It teaches us of his power, the incarnation. It teaches us of his wisdom, the timing of when it happened. It teaches us of his mercy. We didn't deserve this. It teaches us of his grace, undeserved favor that Jesus came and was, was willing to become a baby and go through what he went through. The disposition to use little things. Have you seen any of these at Christmas and thought of You could just take one of those and spend Christmas this year talking about that one with your grandchildren or your children. And then music. That's a natural part of this. They were singing that night, weren't they? Music is a natural part of it. Do you, I want to ask you, do you sing the carols with vigor and gusto? Oh, come all ye faithful. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory 
to the newborn king. O come, all ye faithful. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Okay, when I was growing up in Brandon, Mississippi, about half the men in the church didn't sing. When I was a little bitty boy, I just thought, that's terrible. I maybe it wasn't a half, maybe it was a third. And I thought, I'm eight years old. They wouldn't pay any attention to me, but I think they ought to sing. But I never said anything. Okay, I'm going to say something now. If you are a man or a woman and you don't sing in church, you planning on going to heaven? You are? You better tune up. Let me tell you, if you don't believe it, read Revelation chapter 7. Boy, the choirs are getting to it, and you're a part of it. And I bet you, you'll sing then. We all will, and we'll love it. I suggest that the way you celebrate Christmas is start with verses 18 and 20, and then go back to verse 17. Think about it, ponder it, wonder at it, seek to glorify God, and then tell others about it. What does it say? They, they went back to the fields and they went back glorifying God. Where did they go? Went back to the field. Went back to the sheep. Okay, folks, when church is out today, we're going back in the world. I don't know where you're going to be this afternoon. I don't know where you're going to be Tuesday. But sometime within the next few days, somebody's going to pop in front of you. And you don't have to preach. You don't have to be obnoxious. You don't just somehow get around to it. And it'll help make this the best Christmas you ever had. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, if I've spoken truth, it would be remembered. Bless us now as we come to the table. Feed our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.